And I'm super excited today. Our overseer is here this morning. He's going to be sharing the word. Pastor Chris and Caitlin are out in Biloxi. They're getting ready for the national NRP conference that's going to be there this weekend. And so please, look, this man is, has poured wisdom into me, and, and, and him and his wife have just loved on my wife and I, and they are, they are key people to what has, what, where the tabernacle is today. And I just, I love him so much. He's, everything he speaks, just like, ah, just so much wisdom. So can we please give it up today for our overseer, Pastor Carl Calinato. Praise the Lord. Brother Adam, I want to tell you the prophetic word you gave confirmed to me while I'm here and what I'm going to say. But it's good to be here in the parish. I love this place. My wife and I spent, we were called here back in 1991. We spent 15 years here, built a church before Katrina, uh, changed our plans, but uh, it's always good to be back here. Uh, we're, we wasn't from Chalmette. We were, for, in fact, New Orleans people. We were born in New Orleans and uh, raised in Metairie most of our life. When God called me to leave the church in River Ridge that we planted back in 1981 to come here, uh, it was a change. We felt like, like foreigners here, but it didn't take us long to acclimate, and uh, we loved this place. In fact, I was ready to get a couple of burial plots here at the place. I said, baby, we ain't leaving here. This is like heaven, and uh, it's still like heaven if you're here. We love this place. Well, I preached to Metairie Congregation this morning at 9 a.m., and it's Amazing this year what our ministry is doing. We have building programs going on and to complete. Uh, in Metairie, uh, we have just leased another uh, spot in the storefront to put our children in. And me and my grandson, we're in there uh, building it out and expanding. Uh, in the Covington Church, we're about ready to add to the building a daycare center. And also here in, in Chalmette, we have plans being completed to where we're going to restore something down the street that we have never had before. And uh, we're just waiting on God to move. Uh, we have got sources from insurance, lawsuits and everything. God's going to work this all out. And we're going to be back on our feet like we never was before. And, uh, you know, in the book of Isaiah, the Lord told the Israelites in Isaiah 54, 2, to enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthening your stakes. And what God was trying to tell them is to enlarge your place, 
because I'm getting ready to bless you. I'm getting ready to uh, increase you. And that's what I believe is going on this year. God wants to increase this ministry in all three of our churches. And uh, it takes a vision for that. you got to have a vision. And I believe the Tabernacle Ministry has that vision. And our vision is culture-defining, We, uh, uh, which is the four E's of engage, encourage, empower, and enjoy. How many know that Christianity is to be enjoyed? It's not a burden to be a Christian. You ought to be enjoying this every day of your life, that you're, you're being blessed. So this basically our ministry vision for all three of our churches, that uh, a vision should produce a culture. Uh, I remember here in the parish right before Katrina, we grew the church to 600 people, and uh, I realized what happened there is that the church, we were all speaking the same language. We all knew what we had to do, that we had to win, and disciple people and make them uh, uh, valuable in the kingdom of God. Everybody knew the process. And that's what's got to happen in all three of our churches. We have to develop a culture on who we are in, in the body of Christ. It should define who we are as a church. In fact, this church had such a culture that this parish used to call this church that church. When people would say where they went to church, they say, you go to that church? Well, they knew that church had a culture, and the culture was winning the loss to Christ, changing lives, bringing families back together. That was the culture, and everybody knew it, and uh, this parish even knew it. So this culture will develop here at this church who we are as Christians. And I believe the world out there, the unbelieving world, needs to see us as being different. So I want to talk to you about the first part of our, our vision, and that is engage. And what do we mean by the word engage? Well, it's an action word. If you're going to engage in something, it's, it's going to take some action. And one of Webster's de definition of engage is this. It says to offer Something such as one's life or word as backing to a cause or aim to expose to risk for the attainment or support of some end. Well, that end is doing the work of the Lord. That end is winning souls and making disciples for the kingdom. But Webster also gives a statement. He says, engaged his all in the kingdom's cause. And we know concerning us who our king is. Our king is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is soon coming. How many know that? He's soon coming. You know, I used to hear that 50 years ago when I got saved, but I know it's closer now than it was when I first got started. He's coming back. Hallelujah. Well, this is exactly what this part of our vision is. It's actually the vision of the gospel. We want to do the gospel, just what the Bible tells us to do. 
we don't want to act like a church. We want to be the church. We want things to take place here. Engaging in all of the king's business. Remember when Jesus was left in Jerusalem, when his parents went there for the Passover, and they left with a big crowd. They didn't know that Jesus was still left behind. Three days later, they found him in the temple. And they said, son, why have you disappointed us like this? And Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Let me tell you, every one of us needs to be about our father's business. Jesus engaged the culture of this world. Think about this. He was at the right hand of God, the father living in glory, living in holiness. And he had to come here. He had to come into a world that was lost and dying, sinful and ungodly. He had to enter and engage in this world. See, when we're born again as a believer, I remember uh, years ago when I was here at the tabernacle, I preached a message on the three conversions. One of them is that when we're saved, we get converted out of a culture that is sinful and ungodly. That's what he did. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which is another culture. See, we as believers are living in another culture. We were, we were saved out of one culture, and we're brought into another culture. Now, the problem is, is that we get satisfied in this culture to where we don't want to have anything to do with that culture. But guess what? God has saved us, put us in this culture, that we might go back there and bring people out of the culture that we lived in before and bring them into the kingdom of God. But as Christians, we should engage this culture. I believe the church over the past hundred years have huddled together and saying it's us poor and no more because we like it here. I remember years ago, uh, the first church me and my wife planted, uh, we, we started in a school cafeteria and, and uh, we, we bought property on Jefferson Highway and we bought a little house and we knocked all the walls out of it so we could have church. Well, we outgrew the thing we had to build a building. And I remember an old sister told me, she said, Brother Carl, I, I, I know we need a new building, but I, I'm so happy here with our little group. I said, yeah, this little group ain't going to be little no more. We've we got to do more than that. And uh, so we can't get that place where we like where we are. There's more people out there that must be reached, and it's up to us to do it. So we have to engage the culture. We don't like what they do. We don't like what they say. We don't like the things that they're involved in. But guess what? Jesus ate and drank with sinners. You got that? If we want to fish, we've got to go where fish are. If we want souls to fill up this building that we have a vision for down the street, we're going to have to win souls. We're going to have to engage our culture. 
We ought to be able to influence our world with the life that God has given us. The life we have now is different than the one we had before. And the life we have now should influence people out there in that world. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if Christ's life is now living in us, then we ought to have the same uh, purpose and will of Jesus Christ. He came to engage this sinful world. Well, if that life is living in us, then we should have the same purpose. We should want to save those who are lost and dying. His reason for engaging the sinful culture should be in us. That's what the church is. We're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has that vision. This vision is not only for our church, not only for the tabernacle, our three churches. This vision is for the entire worldwide church, the body of Christ, is to reach out to wherever country they're in. And I've been to a lot of foreign countries, and it's the same. The church has to reach the culture in which they're living in. The Apostle Paul gives us some insight into his letter to the Colossian church. The Colossian letter was one of four letters that Paul wrote from prison. And the other three letters were Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Paul was in prison for preaching and believing what we believe right now. He was in prison for preaching what I'm preaching to you today. And, and uh, uh, that should give you some feeling when you read Paul's letters where he was when he wrote it. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. So the first thing, Paul says we need to be doing to engage our culture is to devote ourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, to devote ourselves in prayer means that we got to be constant. we got to be persevering. we got to be unwearied. We can't get tired of praying. we got to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what my pastor, Brother Rod Aguilar, said. you got to stay at the feet of Jesus. Remember Martha and Mary? And Mary was at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy doing the work. And, and, and Jesus said, Mary has chosen the best part. The best part is to be at the feet of Jesus. And that means to be constant, unbroken prayer, to be in constant communion, with God. It means to walk and breathe 
prayer. To live and move and have our being in prayer. It means never to face a moment in your life when you're not in prayer. And I know you're going to say, okay, Pastor, how do I do that? I got a job. I got a family. I got a kid. How do I stay in a constant prayer? Well, you'll have a problem with that if you really, if you, if you put prayer in a box that the only time I can pray is when I go lock myself in a closet. Well, you need to lock yourself in a closet sometimes. I lock myself in my office. When my wife sees my office door closed, she knows don't come knocking. I'm doing something. I'm praying. I'm at the feet of Jesus. But that is not the only time. See, prayer, the king, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. It's not here in this building. It's in us. And if I want to reach God, I got to go deep inside. And I can do that any time of the day. I can do that any time of the day. I can continue to walk in prayer. What the scripture is saying is that we need to develop an attitude of prayer. To be always prayerfully. We need to walk in a spirit of prayer. Whatever your your life leads you, you ought to have a spirit of prayer. You need to take a mental break from your, your duties in life and just say, God, I thank you. God, I need you. We need to be in prayer constantly. Pray always. When our minds are not on some duty, man, just pray. Pray before you go to sleep at night. I do that. Every one of us has to lay down at night Put your head on that pillow. I know some of us, like my wife, as soon as her head hits that pillow, she's gone. You got to wait a while. Just thank God for a moment that you made it through another day. Thank God for all the blessings that he's given. Just do it. It's, it's, it's a time where you're undisturbed. You're ready to go to sleep. Yeah, I, when I go to sleep at night, I pray that God gives me dreams. See, because the Bible says that your young men are going to see visions. Your older men are going to dream dreams. You see, I want dreams. I want prophetic dreams. I don't want nightmares. And I, and I don't want stupid dreams. I want dreams that God has a prophetic message for me. Just like one day years ago, probably about five years ago, my wife and I got up one morning, and, and I told her we sat down drink some coffee. I said I had a dream last night. She says, I had one too. Okay. She said, tell me your dream. I told her a dream. I said, I dreamt that someone was handing me a baby boy. I had the baby in my hands, and I knew that legally in everything, it was mine. She said, I had a dream too, and I was holding a baby. I said, is that right? So we start describing the baby, and it was the same baby. You figure that out. So I, I presented it to my elders, the presbyters, and everybody said it was another church campus. Well, that church campus is the Metric campus. God made me leave Covington and go out there and start that. You see, that's how we need to pray. We need to ask God to give us prophetic dreams, prophetic messages, because he'll do that. And uh, 
I make it a habit of that. And this is a critical fact here, that praying is our duty as a believer. God's not going to pray for us. God wants us to pray. And uh, pray. if we don't pray, then prayer won't get anything done. We have to pray. Scripture is clear that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, and it's going to be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who knocks, the door will be opened. Prayer knocks. That's what praying does. It's knocking, and prayer opens the doors. That's what all three of our churches need. That's why we have some scheduled prayer meetings. Every one of our churches has scheduled prayer meetings. For God to open some doors of opportunity for us that will only come through prayer. It's only going to come if we ask for it. Paul says, pray for your leaders. This is what Paul said. He's in prison. He said, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul, being locked up in prison, could have asked for a lot of things. He could have asked the church to pray to give him better food. Could have asked the church to, to give him some water. Or they could have, he could have asked the church to pray that they let me out of here. I think that's what I'd be praying. Get me out of here. But that's not what Paul was praying for. Paul was praying not for his release, none of that. What he was praying for, his ministry. He said he wanted the believers to pray that God would give him opportunity to witness for the sharing of the mystery of the gospel. Boldness in witnessing. That's why I said when, when uh, Brother Adam was giving that message of prophecy, he, that's what he was saying, that God would give us power and boldness to witness. So that's what gave me uh, encouragement there. So to engage his culture, Paul wanted to engage his culture. Think about it. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a Jewish leader. He knew Judaism in and out. But God sent him to the Gentiles, people that didn't even know that God existed. He sends him there. So Paul had to engage a culture which he didn't live in. He lived a religious life. And Paul said, pray for me that I can speak that gospel. He wanted to make a difference with his life. Paul was a, wasn't afraid to engage his culture because he knew that the message was powerful. How many know the gospel is powerful? Yeah. If it changed your sinful life, it's got to be powerful. They, the message is powerful, that it would change people's lives. When God called me into the ministry, I was a hairdresser. And I didn't know why he picked on me, but I didn't know what to do. I said, Lord, I haven't been to uh, Bible college. I haven't done anything. You know what the Lord told me? Just say what I say. Just, in other words, just preach my word, and you're going to see things happen. I said, well, that's good enough for me. 
I preach his word, people's lives get changed. They're still getting changed. Paul asked the church to pray that a door would be open that he could preach. And Paul knew that God was going to open doors. This is why we have to schedule prayer meetings. This is why we do what we do. We need open doors. And it's only going to happen through prayer. Then Paul shows us that we have to engage our culture. This culture here, I want to tell you something. Here in the parish, we grew up in Metairie. I got here. They have a whole different culture here. A whole different mindset here. And we had to engage that. Look what Paul said. Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Who are the outsiders? That's not the people in the church. It's the people outside that don't know God. He says, act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because what we have is powerful. What we have when God gives us an opportunity to speak to outsiders is powerful. Let me, let me just tell you how powerful this word is. My grandson, Joseph Salino, and I, we are doing a construction work in the new place for our children in Metairie. We, we, have, we leased another spot, and we, we had to renovate it. We're in there working. Well, a week ago, I believe it was Friday, we just came back from Home Depot unloading lumber, whatever we were doing. And a young man walked in. He had a beard. You know, guys are wearing beards. Everybody looks alike these days. Everybody got beards. So this young man walks in and starts acting like he knew us. He, he walks in, and he's fist-pumping us and everything. He says, how y'all doing? I said, we're doing good. And he says, uh, y'all need any help here today? I said, no. I said, we got it. He said, what about tomorrow? I said, no, we have it. I said, listen to me. I said, we're a church here. I said, we try, we got a limited budget here. We can't, we can't be paying anybody, okay? And I got close to him, and I could smell, this is 10 o'clock in the morning, I could smell that he was drinking. And I, and I said, you've been drinking? He says, yes, I have. So now he starts telling me why he drinks. Well, if you don't know God, you better drink. You know, you just, you don't have no other place to turn. But he starts telling me, he starts telling me a story. And I'm thinking, listen, I got to get to work here. We, we got to get this job done here. So he starts telling me about why he drinks. So I went and grabbed my phone, which is my electronic Bible, and I opened the Bible app up to Romans 10, 9. I said, can you read? He said, yeah, I can read. I said, read this. He starts reading all the way down to verse 11. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Okay. He finished reading, and he says, there was something that was trying to stop me from reading that. I said, it's the devil. He don't want you saved. I said, now, if we pray what you just read, God's going to save you. So I led him in the sinner's prayer. And when he finished saying the sinner's prayer, he, and I'm staying close to him now. We're just close. He says, uh, I have a disease. 
I said, you have a disease. He says, yeah. I said, what is it? He said, it's alcohol. I said, look at me. I said, I have the power to release you from that alcohol. Listen to me now. I put my hand on his head. And, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you foul spirit, come out of him. The power of God hits him. He hits the floor. And he's, he's trying to get up. He says, I can't move my legs. I can't move my legs. I said, it's all right. It's all right. Let me see. Y'all got that picture? This is me. I told my grandson, get the camera. Nobody's going to believe this. That's me getting Tim off the floor. Look, you see his coffee cup flew. Everything flew. We, we're in the middle of working. See, we engaged the culture. The culture came to us. We have the power. Listen, this is the first time. This is the first time in ministry. I've been in ministry 42 years that I used that, that term. I've cast demons out of people before, but I never said I have the power. You got that? Say, oh, no, you're boasting. No, I'm not boasting. See, when, when Peter, and, Peter and John reached the, the gate beautiful in Jerusalem in the temple, and they had that beggar there trying to get money, Peter said, silver and gold, we don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that's what happened. Let me tell you something. If we're going to be the church that we need to be, you have to understand that God has given us power and anointing to engage a culture that doesn't know God. And what they're going to understand is the power that is in the gospel. Now, we took him over into the church on the other side and said, this is where you need to be this Sunday. And he kept looking at my grandson, Joseph, and he said, he says, your eyes, you look straight, don't you? And my, and my, my grandson said, yeah, I look straight. I look straight. I got Jesus. I look straight. And I, we invited him. I took him over into the church said, this is where you need to be. Bring your wife, your family, everybody here next Sunday. Well, he didn't show up, but I guarantee you this. He ain't going to forget that. He ain't going to forget the power of God touching him. It, it amazed me. That's why I told my grandson, get the camera. Take it. Somebody, they ain't going to believe this. He walked in off the street. He didn't know what he was walking into. <laughs> he didn't know what he was walking into. And that's how people, when they look at you and see that you're different, you need to tell them why you're different. And you can tell them they can be different. And whatever you have, they can have. If 
why we've got to watch our lives. The outsiders are lost. That's what, what Paul is saying here. We need, to, we need to watch the way we act towards outsiders because they need to see that we're different. They need to see that the way we walk, the way we live, the way we talk. They had another uh, uh, man I, when we were over there. Let me tell you, that Metairie spot there, God sent us to that spot. It's a hot spot. I mean, they got stuff going on all around there. They had a big black uh, man. He was about 400 pounds. He, we needed him to come. He works for the building management people there. And uh, uh, so we just happened to be talking. And I don't know, I started witnessing to him. He, well, he came in the first first time I met him. He come in and look at the air conditioning unit, which they're going to replace. And he's using F-bombs, cursing, taking the name of the Lord in vain, everything. So outside, he starts telling me that he's Baptist, and he goes to the bank, he pays his tithes and all, all of that. And I'm thinking, the next time I see him, I got to say something to him. You don't go around saying you're a Christian with all of this coming out of your mouth. This world needs to see us walking in righteousness and godliness. Guarding every step. Guarding every word that comes out of our mouths. We've got to make the most of every opportunity. And the only way those opportunities are going to come is that we have to show this world who we are. We need to avoid wasting time. We've got to redeem the time, Paul says. That is, we seek every opportunity. We need to take advantage of every moment. Don't let one person slip by you that you have an opportunity to say something. Because what we have is powerful. Your words are powerful if you say what Jesus said. We're the only Jesus these people are ever going to see. And we should always look for opportunities to do good. I wasn't expecting that guy to walk in. We was ready to start putting up some sheetrock. We wasn't planning on that, but I was ready for it. And you need to be ready for it when the opportunity comes. Paul gives us instructions on how engaging our culture. In verse 6, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer everyone. Always speak with grace, answering and sharing what it is that makes your life different. You got to be ready. We got to be living a life so different and righteous that people will ask, what is this about you? I had it happen to me many times in my 50 years. People said, what is it? You're different. I said, I'm a Christian. God lives in me. How many are living a life that is so different that people are going to come ask us 
What is it about you? Note what Paul is saying. And we're walking among unbelievers. We need to guard our speech and our conversation. Listen, it's so easy to be caught up in that worldly talk out there. But we got to guard ourselves. That we got to speak with grace. We got to speak with kindness. We got to speak with courtesy. We got to speak our conversation has got to be filled with salt. Something that's going to taste good to them. What happens when we do this is striking. People are going to know you're different. You don't talk their language. You don't walk the way they walk. You don't go the way they go. We're different. We're peculiar people, the Bible says. We need to be. God called us out of that mess to be a light to that. Some will ask us what it is that gives you so much peace and security in your life. We should have peace. I don't care if it looks like our world's falling apart. It needs to have peace. This is when we have the unique opportunity to witness, to tell what the Lord has done for us. I love that. I love when somebody says, what made you change? I'll tell you. We can reach out to them. Those who are lost and doomed in despair with hopelessness, this is what Peter says. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The believer is to answer every man who asks about the hope of our salvation. The believer is to be ready to answer and to defend what we believe. Now, to do that means a little preparation. You're going to have to know the Word of God. You're going to have to study the Word of God. You're going to have to meditate on the Word of God. You have to know how to answer people with what God says and not what you think or anybody else thinks. You need to answer them with, Thus saith the Lord. This means preparation. This means sitting at the feet of Jesus. We ought to be very careful how we answer and to defend the hope. Of salvation. We ought to answer people with a spirit of meekness and in the fear of the Lord. Matthew 10 32, Jesus says this Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, this is our reward. In other words, when you confess Jesus to someone, Jesus says, I'm going to confess you to my Father. In other words, Jesus is going to say, Father, look at, that. Look at my boy down there. Look at my girl down there. See what they're doing? I don't know about you. That's good enough for me. In other words, I'm going to be rewarded. Every time I confess Jesus to somebody, Jesus is going to confess me before the Father. That's good enough for me. And it's good enough for me because God has given me the power 
to be that witness. That's what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive power. So when you go minister to somebody, you want to cast a demon out, you can tell that person, I had the power to do that. You're not bragging. You're not boasting. All you're saying is what Jesus said. I'm going to give you the power to do it. I, look, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, in Metairie, Shalmet, Covington, and to the ends of the earth. We've got to be ready this year to engage the culture in which God has us to do. Stand with me.